Hi, I'm Keith Allen, and I play Murphy on Z Nation, and I listen to One Up Gaming Podcast. Hi, I'm Lucy James, and I listen to the One Up Gaming Podcast. Welcome to the next generation of gaming with the One Up Gaming Crew. With news from the weekend gaming and just some random chat. Okay. With your hosts, David and Nathan. Plus some special guests this time. For more info, please visit www.1upgaming.co.uk Hi, David here, 1UP Gaming, episode 350. It's amazing that we managed to get this far. It's amazing that we've got so many downloads every month. Um, I would just like to thank everyone, everyone that has... Watched, downloaded, commented, uh, liked, subscribed, anything like that. It's absolutely amazing that we've got up to episode 350. Uh, This is going to be a different show. I am going to say what I've been playing, but I'm going to intermix that with some of the guests that we've interviewed and chatted to this week. So... This week, as always, please go to our website, which is oneupgaming.co.uk. Please like and subscribe our YouTube channel. Um, comment, um, bell, uh, all that goodness. Uh, the guest that we've got this week is Joe Dowling, who's one of the founders of the Four Quarters Arcade Bars. Now, he's got a book coming out at the end of May. Please... Um, buy this it's on the Amazon is it the, it's not the Amazon Plus but you know the the book service with Amazon that you subscribe to where you can actually download the stuff within the Amazon service I don't know what I'm talking about I can't hardly read myself but the book is called Outrunners it's set in the early to mid 80s it's got story it's got arcades it's got it's it's something that you guys will probably be interested in so please check this out another guest we've got this week is mike jarrett he's one of the founders of running with scissors and if anyone knows that name it's from the guys who made postal postal 2 which was amazing it's also got postal 3 Less said about that one than the better. And just last year, they released Postal 4. So the franchise itself is like a 25-year franchise now. The In 2016, I think it was, they did the Postal Redux. Or Redo, I can't remember what the hell they call them now. Um, and that is just the original Postal with a shiny sheen of HD graphics. The Postal remake is... Quite a simple sort of game. Um, Postal 4 is more 3D orientated. I think it's Unreal Engine 4. It feels that way because it's got loading bits in as you're going through the open world. Um, but yeah, look further through the the video um, podcast, what you want to call it, for more details of these games and we talk to Mike. We also have Ross Briley, who is from Laughing Jackal. 
and they help um sort of like they produce and make their own games and he also works as um I should have wrote it down but they also import Japanese games and they convert them over into English and then release them um, so it's Ross and finally we had to get him back on one of the fan favourites I don't know if he is or not I just thought I'd say it and that is Eddie Eddie Sampaio I'm so sorry if that's not how you say his surname. I'm crap with words, crap with letters. I don't understand the word how English works. But he started with with me oh, 2013, 20, that sort of time. And it had been about 17 when he first started. And he had a lot of opinions. He couldn't write for Toffee. His review, he... he gave me was crap he'd put the words like the fonts uh what do you want to call it the the size it like increased everything to like a 25 or 30 and to make it look like he'd written a full page but it was like just like a couple of sentences really um but eddie it was always good on the podcast always good to chat to so we brought him back just to have a quick chat see how he's doing now and any of the memories that he had of the One Up Gaming podcast. So that is what we've got this week. You can also download or uh, buy the first 100 podcasts available at audiobooksontape.com. Just search One Up Gaming for that. Um, did I say the Games Inspired Music album is out? Just go to Google, search Games Inspired Music, or go to Spotify, or go to Amazon, anything like that. And you should be able to buy that. And with that one, 20% of each sale will go to the Child's Play charity. So without further ado, I will have a quick break and we'll come back with what we've been playing this week. But as I say, we are going to have, I think what I'll be doing, I'll do a couple of games, interview, couple of games, interview, couple of games, interview, then the end. So, back in a couple. Right, thank you for that. Still David, still One Up Gaming, episode 350 of the One Up Gaming podcast. And we're going to have a quick talk of two more games. Uh, first one, The Outer World Spaces Choice Edition. Now, if anyone doesn't know what The Outer Worlds are... Shame on you. It's an amazingly brilliant RPG series. Um, yeah, they might be owned by Microsoft now, but their comedic timing for this game is amazing. They've redone the assets, redone everything, made it all proper, like 4K, 60 frames a second, made it look gorgeous, and they've really next genified the game. And yeah, it is. If you like RPG games, get this don't question yourself it's amazing um, other than that um, I mean they're, they're the same team who made like the Fallout uh, New Vegas 1 and 2 so you know the pedigrees there you know they're a decent team uh, the next game that I played this week is Advent Rising and this one, I only played it because it was like on the Xbox, available on the thing. And I, as I was playing it, 
I remember back in the day, there was it was advertised like crazy, like it's going to be the new franchise, new trilogy, new this, new that. Open world, open space, open story. Everything was just massive. Playing this now, it's got elements in it, elements that are just so far ahead of the the time. Some of the design, some of the philosophy of the gameplay, everything is just that next level up of once we get to the 360, this is what we're aiming to do, but back on the original Xbox, I just don't think it was quite capable of doing what they were trying to do, and unfortunately because of that, the game just kind of failed, the publisher, was it Majesco, Majesco, Majesco? didn't have the funds, the budget to properly push this game out and unfortunately it just failed. Um, but yeah, that is that Advent Rising, it's a bloody good game. It's, it's a good game, it's not great, it's not bad. Some of the gameplay elements are a bit wonky but I think that's because they were really stretching and reaching for that next sort of level. So yeah, again, I would if you can get hold of it, try it. It's a good little game, and yeah, so that is that. So we'll have a quick intermission, and we'll come back with the next chat. So future, I keep saying future me, but it's not. It's past me because I'm the future recording now. He was in the past, but yeah. So past me, take it away. Have a nice chat. And we're back. One up gaming episode four. No. I keep saying 400, it's not, it's 350. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely have to have my phone next to me to see what the last one that I recorded was. <laughs> because numbers are hard. Yeah. Anyway, we have a special guest on this time, so please just introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ross Brawley. I I work at Ghostlight and Mark and Jackal, where I'm the community manager. Um... PR person, tester, and pretty near everything else at the moment. So, yeah, I've been there 16, 17 years now, and since the PS2 days. And we primarily do Japanese, bring Japanese games to the West. Um, we used to develop a few of our own, but now we pretty much just exclusively bring over Japanese games or port them over other publishers to release in the west so you must have seen some weird games that have been over there to be honest most of the strangest games i've worked on have probably been western games because back in the old days when i first started we were also midas interactive and we released a lot of budget games in the, did a lot of budget games. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them were I'm just trying to think, wasn't that like Mr. Mosquito and things like that? Yes, that, that, that was a bit before my time, but yes. <laughs> and um we've all there's a huge range, lots of racers, lots of shooters, lots of puzzle games. There's a strange one we never actually did, which was a sort of match four type thing about uh, octopus balls falling from the sky and you had to sort of 
match them. That was quite, that was fun, but unfortunately, we never actually did it. We got a review copy in to evaluate, but we couldn't actually do it. But <laughs> I liked that one. It had the most catchy theme song ever as well. Oh, that's... So how many games would you say you've had your hands in? It's been a long time since I've sat down and worked it out. But as, when I last did, I was probably comfortably over 150. So That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a few years ago, so it's probably getting near 200 now. But yeah, uh, I, I've been working at the same company for, since the PS2 era. So yeah, there's been a few. Uh, the most recent one we did, if I can get a cheap plug-in, is Agrest or Generations of War on Switch, which released exactly a month ago, in fact, uh, the 24th of March, um, which is a return of a game I've worked on several times. We originally did the PS3 game version, which was the last ever PS3 game, but didn't have trophies. A little fact I remember because we had a few people ask emailing in, emailing me asking if, if we could add them, but it wasn't speed. And I also worked on a PC version, so it was kind of like having an old friend back. To the extent, in the second dungeon, when I was walking through, I just suddenly started sort of turning off the main path to where all the chests were without really thinking about it. Just because <laughs> I was so you the muscle memory was so strong, I was just Oh yeah, there's a chest here. So yeah, and I know you've sort of said that you've worked on a lot of um, varied uh, genres, like races, puzzles, RPGs. Yeah. Would you say the vast majority would be the RPG at the moment? And certainly in recent years, yes. Um, Since, right. Probably the PS, later PS3 era, we've primarily worked with Japanese publishers, either releasing the games, their games ourselves, or often, uh, more recently, doing them for other publishers. We've done a lot of JRPGs, quite a few visual novels, though we've never actually released one ourselves. But it's some, it's something we be interested in the, the right game has never quite come along for us, but we've been asked to support a lot for other people. Some action games. We did the Way of the Samurai games on Steam, although we lost rights to them, so they're now published by someone else. But they're still very cool games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a scary world we live in now, especially when a lot of stuff's are like downloadable. And a lot of games, like, well, like let's just say like the Forza games, they only get like a two, three year license for the cars. So they can only have the the game on sale for like three years. Yeah. In this case, the games are still on sale, but just with the original Japanese publisher controlling the rights to them. So it's their release now. Yeah. Um but I did enjoy working on them. <laughs> so really good character customization. I'm just having a look in your background. I don't know why, but it looks like Sega Saturn games, but it can't be. No, no. Uh, it's mainly books, C64 
CDs and a few DVDs. So I sort of got my gaming stuff somewhere else. Yeah. I'm working from home today, so this is kind of my home. <laughs> Background, you know, home office slash bedroom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks pretty cool. I don't know why they do look like Sega Saturn cases to me, but I don't know. Um, so what would you say is your primary gaming system at the minute? Mainly PC. Um, I primarily play on Steam. I do have access. Uh, I do have a PS4. And I do sometimes play on that, but usually Steam. I'd also kind of like to get a Switch, but it's never quite, it hasn't quite happened yet. But it does look a lot. There's a lot of Switch games I'm like, Really fancy playing that? Um, yeah, so. Which I, I used to have a Switch, but I sold it. It was basically my what to do when I was bored at the toilet. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I found with handheld consoles is I always end up playing them in the same place. I play um, my PC games, like set up a desk, except instead of playing with a mouse and keyboard, I'm holding the or whatever like this and just I don't really take them out much yeah uh, I mean like I think my switch it was literally I had it to work and everything um, but it never came out it was just like when I was sat at home bored yeah so it wasn't really a a mobile gaming platform it was just like sat at home yeah I mean I say I I don't really use portables very, very portably. So, but it's one of those I've really, there's enough games on there, but I'm really tempted to Fire Emblem ones. And because the Switch, our Switch to Japanese games has been really good for me personally because that's the kind of stuff I love. So, I'm really, you know, I've always been into the RPGs and things. So, for me, getting to work on, on more of them has been. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that's the sort of game I've been getting a Switch for as well. I mean, I, I think for me personally, I've only ever enjoyed one, like what you would consider a, a JRPG. And that was, I think it was Microsoft's, was it Lost Odyssey? I've never actually played that one. I've heard really good things about it, but I never had an Xbox. <laughs> So it's like if I if I if I ever got one, I, that was one of the games on display, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, no, Mist Walker the did an absolutely fantastic job on that game. It was amazing. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. But I mean, like <clears throat> for me, uh, I don't know about you because like you're yeah, UK as well, but like. A lot of the so-called mainstream gaming press, they go on massively about Nintendo and their games just because of the history of Nintendo in America, like covering like 98% of you know, sales and everything. So a lot of people, it might be a so-so game, but because of all the the history and everything, they just go massively over the top with a lot of the Nintendo sort of sort of games. I mean, for me personally, I haven't owned a lot of Nintendo consoles in recent years. I, I had a Wii, 
Before that, my first console was an NES, so I sort of was a Nintendo child growing up. And I think they do fantastic games, but like they have certain styles that they're very, very good at. And outside, and for me, that's pretty good. I like I love the Fire Emblem series. I enjoy platformers, so their platforming games are good. Mario Kart's always a great laugh when you you've got some mates around. So for me, they really work. But obviously, the thing about video games these days—I mean, even more so—it's always been like that. But even more these days, there's such a wide variety of things that. You know, no one publisher or console manufacturer is going to satisfy everyone's sort of preferences. And I think Nintendo quite clearly sort of understands what your average Nintendo fan wants, what sort of person who buys a Switch wants, and are very good at homing in and creating games for that market. They're very creative within that, within that space. Obviously, if you don't quite fall into that category, it's not going to work for you very well. I mean, <clears throat> I, I do think it's funny because like, we've had a couple of people on the, our team who have been American. And when I mentioned to them that the master system outsold the NES 4-1 to one in the UK. They're absolutely flabbergasted. I mean, it's one of the things about being in an English-speaking country, but American history, particularly in the gaming space, sorts of kind of overwrites UK gaming history unless you're really into it. Like, it's things like the talk of a gaming crash that happens about the Atari, which... Yeah, the 1983 really crash. Here. It never happened here because we had, like, the Spectrum, the C64, yeah. we had all these other things happening. Yeah, so you don't quite have the same history of Nintendo coming into a field that was not quite in ruins, but, you know, have very much seen better days and reviving it here. It was... I say, I was a NES kid growing up, so it's... I was a Nintendo kid, but, you know, there's a huge variety of things people have. I knew a lot of kids, people with Segas. I knew people with Spectrums, with Amigas. So, yeah, well, you know, you had a much bigger variety here than you had in the States, I think, in that areas. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if you can see or not, but I've got, like, a stupid... Sega Saturn tattoo on my hand. Yeah. Um, that was my favourite game back in when Sega was doing the early, like, Model 2 sort of arcade games. Yeah. Like, Virtual Fighter 2 was one of my favourites. Virtual Cop, yeah. Sega Rally. All these, like, fast-paced arcade sort of games I used to love. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm, I come from a generation where I like to have a little bit of anything. I can't sit down and play one game for like 20 hours. It's I'll, I'll play something for half an hour then turn it off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I don't have as much time to play video games as I used to. 
which means in practice by playing RPG, I've, I've usually got sort of two games on the go. I've got an RPG, which I'll sort of have ongoing, and that will take like a month or something for me to finish. And then I'll have, you know, a little thing, maybe a platformer or a sports game that I'm sort of playing just for sort of for a bit of variety during that period. But just, I mean, I guess that's the thing about what, you know, <laughs> working and all that. You don't have the time you used to to breeze through a sort of 60, 70 hour RPG in like a few weeks. No, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever. It's like, like that Lost Odyssey. I think it was on four DVD discs. Yeah. And I don't think I got off the first disc. Yeah, I mean, weirdly, I used to be terrible at finishing games when I was younger. Like, I never used to finish anything that's particularly long. Whereas these, that sort of, I guess, 10, I don't know, but I got a lot better at sort of finishing games. Like, I think the first Final Fantasy game I ever actually finished was Final Fantasy Thirteen. All the others I sort of played and got quite far into and then drifted off into another game. So that was the first one I actually sort of sat down and finished. And that was probably around the period where I got better at finishing RPGs. Wasn't 13 meant to be the bad one? I wouldn't say it's bad. It's not quite as good as some of the others. It's not as good as... I mean, my favourites were like 7, 9. I really liked 9. 12 was pretty cool as well. Uh, 13, I don't think was quite on the same level as, oh, for me anyway, wasn't quite on the same level as those three. It was, I mean, I still enjoyed it. Uh, I finished it, and if I hadn't enjoyed it, I probably wouldn't. But I think I prefer the sort of the, the few ones slightly earlier in the series, that's all. Yeah, probably, I, mean, I, I guess I don't like sort of, the. The random battle encounters. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's probably my sort of Final Fantasy Golden Age. But then, at the same time, how much of that is I was younger, and you know, you always look back fondly at things at, at things that came out when you were like, oh, I, I must be like in my teens when Final Fantasy VII came out. It's kind of hard for a game that comes out in the same series when you're an adult to compete with your memories from that era. I think I'd have been about 18, 19 when Final Fantasy VII came out. Yeah, I'm trying, I can't really remember when it was, but... Um, was it 98? Yeah, so I'd have been about... Yeah, I'd have been about 14, 15 then. So, you know, for a game to come out, yeah, when a game when you play a game quite a lot when you're 14 and 15, it's going to be very hard for a game you play a lot like 10, 12 years later to sort of compare, you know, to compare the two because you're you're always gonna have very fond memories of that of that sort of period. So, what did you make of the Final Fantasy VII remake that they did? I think it's really interesting. Like, obviously, there was some expectation, certainly on my part, there would be a lot closer to the original 
Final Fantasy VII than it ended up being. But in a way, I think it's quite it's quite an interesting and brave idea to just sort of take it in a very different direction than the original Final Fantasy VII went in. Because as I've as I've sort of mentioned, you probably can't compete with my hazy memories of sort of fifteen and sixteen putting it on the PS1 and oh, no, it was, yeah, it was PS1. And I, I hadn't played a JRPG before that. So, you know, it formed a lot of my opinions of what a JRPG is. And I'm not sure in you can really be, you know, compete with those memories. So to sort of try and take it in a different direction was quite an interesting call, I think. Yeah, I think after the initial backlash of how the game was, I do think that there was more in the game for newer people to get into and to actually hold on to. Yeah, I mean, it's always the issue with remakes, particularly remakes of something that's so fondly remembered, but you're trying, you know, my memories of Final Fantasy VII are very different, and what Final Fantasy VII actually was are very different things. Like, I remember, actually, on my big TV a few years back, I fired up Final Fantasy VII, the original, and sort of played a bit. And it's still a fun game. I still enjoyed it. But I was like, did it really look like this? <laughs> this doesn't look quite right. Very pixelated and washed out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, one, obviously, at the time, what you were used to was very different to what you're used to now. But also, yeah. the preceding decades of sort of, I say, left a slightly hazy vision of what it was like. And it's just, yeah, it looked really cool. And I've got this memory, these memories of it looking a lot better than it actually was, you know. But I I don't know, better's the right word, because obviously you're sort of working within the technology of the time. And what seemed fantastic then looks old and potentially a bit dated. I think Final Fantasy in particular, because it was sort of pushing, at the time, pushing the edges of what was done, is particularly susceptible to that. But it's still, I mean, it's still a fun game. But I, I am, I, I did think the decision to go, you know, off in a different direction, you know, was a really interesting and quite cool, quite brave move. So I think for me, my favourite sort of era was the early 32-bit, when they were doing the really cool-looking 3D environments that look yeah. absolutely janky to hell now, but back then it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, like... I think it's an era that's kind of hard to go back to because it was, I, I, I mean, at the time it was amazing, but they were still working a lot of things out. And you sort of go back every now, it's, you can see the potential of some really cool stuff. But at the same time, it's like, it's similar enough to how things work now, but the differences completely throw you. I mean, for me, I think the biggest difference was the actual controller. Yeah. Because the original PlayStation and the original Sega Saturn was just a D-pad and buttons. Yeah. 
So if they were trying to make a full 3D environment, it was very hard to control the characters in that world yeah, until they system. came out with their 3D control pads. Yeah, the control system. And even when they started doing that, obviously, because everyone had to kind of make things up as they were going along, because obviously until then it had been, you know, 2D or top-down. So trying to work out how was best to control these things in characters in the 3D environment sort of took some a fair bit of trial and error. So, yeah, the controls generally when I go back to these games are what throws me. So I think we'll end this kind of thing soon. I just want to know, because you've been in your job for very many years, what would you say is your favourite three games that you've worked on? First one is Trousers, Legend of Heroes Trials of the Sky on PSP, which was kind of my baby in the... I'd seen um, people in America talking about it. It's a first part of a very big, sprawling JRPG series. And I've seen a lot of people talking about the American release and how cool it was. I was like, I want to play that. So I sort of spoke to the boss. We got a, um evaluation copy. I played a bit of it in work and I ended up borrowing the work PSP, taking the game home with me so I could finish it. I then proceeded to basically, well, after I completed it and submitted my evaluation, just shout at every random passerby, hey, sign trails of the sky. I'm not sure it achieved anything <laughs> beyond, beyond confusing the cleaning staff, but we did eventually sign it and I then did a lot, of, a lot of the testing and I was already sort of handling the PR community management. And I even went down to the warehouse to help ship, ship out copies. <laughs> so I was really involved in that. Second favourite one. Mm. Persona 3 Portable. I loved Persona 3. And right before the final boss, when I played on PS2 at home, my save got corrupted and I couldn't finish it. So to get the PSP version and actually finish the game was great. And it's a really, I mean, everyone is, who's into, really into RPGs knows Persona. It's a big series. And to sort of be involved in that as well was very cool. And my third, third one is, hmm. Probably, actually, uh, one we've done, we did ourselves uh, as Laughing Jackal, Flame Over on PC, which was, and Beta as well, uh, which is a sort of top down squirt em up, we used to call it. Is that the Firefighter of... one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's also on like 360, or oh, the, the Xbox One and the PS4. Um, might have been I'm sure I got sent review copies of it. Yeah, I don't. It, it certainly wouldn't have been on Xbox, but it might have been on PS4. I'm trying to. It's been a long time, but I remember really enjoying that, and that was probably well. That was definitely the biggest game we ever developed in house. So sort of seeing it emerge from some very simple early prototypes to. What I thought was a really cool sort of, as I say, um, 
shoot them up, but you're putting out fires rather than shooting, and also rescuing people and cats as well. <laughs> I can't forget rescuing the cats. Yeah, it, I, I thought it was really good, but for me, it was too hard. It, I think if we could go back to it, the difficulty is probably the thing we'd look at. Like, it's because it's got a very, very cartoony look and looks kind of almost like it's aimed at a young age, but, but the difficulty is quite punishing. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, Ross, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you for having me, and congratulations on 350 episodes. Thank you. You remembered it better than I did. <laughs> I've been revising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hello, Andy. This is Colin. I won't be able to get in tonight. I'm sweating like a pig. I'm sweating like a pig. I'm sweating. David here. What up, gaming? Going to have a quick talk about some of the games we played this week so I will just go straight into it and say the first games we played this week is Postal Redux now this one is a Rooney with Scissors game they released this after Postal 3 and Only you can stop the evil. it's quite a simple game that now that you play it I'm not 100% sure how it played on the original PC it might have been with the arrow keys or something to move up, down, left, right and then your mouse would have been where you aim to shoot and fire guessing on the Playstation 5, 4, whatever you want to call it um, the game was only about £7 so about $10-ish and the left stick moves your character and your right stick aims where you're shooting so in essence it's been turned into a twin stick shooter it's a very basic twin stick shooter, trying to speak. And when the you're playing it, it's actually quite fun. Very simple, very easy to get into. You just run around and it's like you have to kill like 80-90% of the enemies on screen. You don't have to kill the innocent, but you can do and you can get like other unlockable bits and bobs. So, considering this game is about 25 years old, it is still quite a good little game. Um, I would recommend it, I think it's a fun little game. It's not the best, but it, it's a fun little game. And in this day and age, all we really need is fun. You know, that's what we need. I just Mindless violence, turn your head off and just, turn your head off, turn your brain off. And just go into it and just blow things up. Lovely. And the next game that I played this week was Postal 4. And I wasn't sure what to expect because I saw a lot of reviews. And a lot of the reviews for like a year ago were really quite scathing in this game. Now, I remember playing Postal 2 all the way back. All the way back years and years ago and thinking it was fun but I had no idea what I was doing just walking around aimlessly and I got the download code for the new uh, um, Lost, La Bad La Lost Lands? Badlands? 
you? I can't remember. I apologise. I really should write these things down. I've just got the name of the games I played, not the actual bits. And with the DLC that came out 12 years after Postal 2, I played that and it didn't look brilliant because I think it's based on the Quake 2 engine thing, somewhere around there. And so it's very boxy, very pixelated, very basic. But it played well, it ran smooth, it looked nice, it was just a nice game to play. And again, I was completely lost, running around just a headless chicken, no idea what I'm doing. Uh, Postal 3, I think I've got, but I think I only played it a couple of times and it looked nice, but it just played crap. A lot of bugs, a lot of errors, a lot of just rubbish. So we'll skip that. And then finally, Postal 4. And I remember getting a email a couple of years ago about this game, and I just thought, well, I don't, I, I don't use my PC at all. I use my PlayStation Five, my PlayStation Four, whatever it was at the time, and my Xbox. They're what I basically use to game on now. I don't. I've got a PC upstairs, but the PC itself is just a relic. It is really, really old. I've. It must be about eight years old now, so that's how bad it is. It won't even update to Windows 11. That's how bad it is. Um, but I downloaded Postal 4. started playing it. I had a lot of memories back from Postal 2, where it's an open-world-style game, um, but this is built on the Unreal Engine 4, uh, and with that, it's got a couple of problems with open-world settings, like it, it probably can only have so much world built into the RAM. So as you're moving between sections of the world, it is like loading levels. It's not like a full 20-second load. It's like a five-second little spliced in the middle as you're walking. Like it just stops. And then it loads and then you carry on. Um, the graphics, they've gone for more of a cartoony style graphics. So it looks more like the uh, Borderlands sort of series. I don't think it's as, it's as well done as that, but again, one's made by 2K Games with unlimited budget, and this, it was originally made, and it was released on Steam Early Access, just so they could start getting money, because these are a small indie company, so you have to have perspective in that, and I started playing this game, it reminded me of Postal 2, I don't think it's as quite li as refined, the movement of the character the first person view and you know the controls i was baffled with the controls on the playstation 4 even when i played it over a half an hour i still couldn't work out how to get your gun out i could pee on people i could kick people but there was little things that i just couldn't work out and yes if i paused it went into options went into settings and things like that but i think that these sort of things should become easy you should be able to get your gun out easy in a, a first person sort of game um but yeah so postal 4 again it's only about i think i paid about 37 pounds so about 40 dollars so for a brand new ish game it's cheap as chips it's cheerful it's fun i enjoyed my time with it i think that i do love the fact of you go in there get given a job and you choose which one you want out of the three or four available and it just mental things happen it's just 
my sort of game. So I think we'll end it there and we'll have a quick chat with Mike from Renew the Scissors. So future me or past me, whatever it was, take it away. And we're back, One Up Gaming, episode 350. And we've got a special guest. So if you'd just like to introduce yourself and just say what you do, please. Uh, my name is Mike Jared Schachter. I am the Chief Bidet Officer at Running With Scissors. Uh, we are the studio behind all of the Postal games, uh, which started back in 1997 with Postal 1 and most recently with Postal 4, which is out for PC and PlayStation 4 and 5. So I think people remember the original Postal game. I think it got, it was a good game but it got a lot of negative press just because of all the violence. Did you guys well, purposely make a game that would be a bit controversial? <laughs> well, personally, I wasn't at Running With Scissors back in 96, 97. I was in high school. Um, but I was I was sort of around when it came out. Like, I knew Vince and Vince's son. Um, I can't speak to their actual motivations when making the game, but at the time... The studio was actually called Rydell Software and was working on a bunch of children's software, like award-winning children's software like uh, Wishbone and, and Hanna-Barbera and, and Sesame Street games. <clears throat> and in 96, they decided, you know, we should make something that we want to play, that we want to, um, that we own, right? Instead of just doing work for hire. So uh, that's where they came up with the company name, Running With Scissors, which basically means to do something that your mother told you not to do. And and the idea for Postal was sort of to make a Robotron-style spinoff that just happened to be violent. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure their intent was to be a little bit edgy and different, right? Back then, there were no games where you could just shoot innocent bystanders in the level. Like, every game was sort of a, a Doom or Quake knockoff where you're either shooting space marines or aliens zombies you know things like that and and postal really gave you your first foray into just being able to shoot anyone at any time um obviously that's not the intent of the game the intent of the game obviously to pass each level was to shoot the hostiles so you actually are only required to shoot the people that are shooting at you but you can obviously shoot the people that are not shooting at you um gta 1 didn't come out for a little while after postal 1 so Obviously, the trend towards that type of game was coming up. Um, you know, Postal's been around for a long time and done a lot of good stuff, but Grand Theft Auto really took the mantle there of, of bringing gaming to uh, the next level and, and into homes everywhere, you know. We're still this little indie company that, that laughs at what we do and we have fun doing it, but we're real hand-to-mouth and small, whereas... You know, GTA is obviously a household name and one of the biggest media products in history. So, I mean, do you reckon that a bit of the narrative is Grand Theft Auto, as you say, it was a massive publisher, massive um, promotion campaign, everything. They probably paid all the magazines at the time thousands of pounds to promote their game. Do you reckon at yeah. the time that it was easier for the magazines? Because I wouldn't say internet, because back then it was like all magazines. Sure, sure. It's easier for the magazines to say Grand Theft Auto is amazing because it's got a story, it's got a world, it's got a all this new concept. And your little indie yep. game 
it's just killing people and it's do you know what i mean it's um yeah yeah there's definitely more of a narrative with, with grand theft auto but to be fair um postal one had a big publisher as well it was uh it was a company that was created called Ripcord, which was a subsidiary of Panasonic. And actually, Take Two was involved in Postal One as well. Um, it's not like we didn't have the backing. It's just that um, Postal One took the brunt of the political problems. I mean, ZTA has had its fair share of political problems over the years, but they've av- they've avoided what we've had to go through. I mean, Postal One got taken in front of the United States Senate by Joseph Lieberman and was denounced as one of the worst things for the kids in 1997, which sounds like an amazing promotion, right? But at the same time, it also terrified our publisher. And and Panasonic was like not happy to have anything to do with that and basically took the game off of all store shelves and told us to go away. So um, what could have been a, a massive future for Postal One ended up sort of pushing us further into the cult and and into the ether. I mean, um, I can't say I'm unhappy that that's how it went because who knows if I would be part of the company if Postal One had been some massive tour de force in 1997. You know, if the game had been really huge and and Panasonic really moved forward with making more games with us, who knows if I'd be involved in this in this product. But um, you know, I'm here and we've sort of made it through the years despite everything that's happened. You know, when Postal 2 came out, which I was a part of, I didn't think putting it out was going to be much of a problem. I mean, GTA 3 was selling like hotcakes at the time, and it was no problem. You know, Rockstar had a bunch of extremely violent titles coming out, and for whatever reason, we could not shake the the name problem we had and that was just that the game was called postal you know postal was such a big problem in the 90s that you know 2003 rolls around and no publisher wanted to touch us with a 10-foot pole and it's not like postal 2 doesn't have a story it does postal 2 compared to postal 1 is like an entirely different genre of game um that said it's still violent and and has some offensive stuff in it but it does lean more into the slapstick humor it does have what I would call somewhat of a story versus Postal One, um, but it didn't matter. You know, we ended up with some sort of boutique crappy publisher that basically got us nowhere. And Postal Two really kind of just lived uh, internationally. Our, our international publishers were selling tons of units in Germany and in Russia and in Europe, but our domestic publisher wasn't doing anything with it. I mean... Postal 2, while today it is considered this like relatively large indie title that's lasted for a long time, it didn't really come into the modern lexicon until we got it onto Steam, which was in 2012. So it wasn't for 10 years until after Postal was out, Postal 2 was out, that it really became more of a a, a well-known title. And, you know, a lot happened between... Postal 2 being released in 2003 and and Postal 2 being re-released on Steam in 2012. So we went through a lot and a a lot of different variations of the company. There was even a Postal 3, which we didn't make and was a total shit show and and a stain on gaming gaming history. But um, yeah, I mean, Postal 2 really is the title we're known for, but it's not because it came out with a bang. It did not. 
come out with a bang. And it, it really did take a long time to become what it is today. So. But I mean, I think back then when Postal 2 came out, again, in the UK press, there was one magazine gave it like eight or nine out of ten. And then another magazine gave it three out of ten saying it's an absolutely broken message. Actually, actually, Postal 2 was given a Guinness record for the most critically divisive game in history. And not because it got a three and an eight, because it got a 10 and a zero. Uh, <laughs> if you Back in the day, there was no Metacritic. It was a site called GameRankings.com. And uh, the aggregate sites, one of them, I can't remember the site, gave it a 100%. Crazy town, but gave it 100%. And then Computer Gaming World, which is one of the, one of the largest magazines on the planet at the time, gave Postal 2 a zero. And the infamous quote in that, review was that until they packaged syphilis postal two is the worst product ever foisted upon the consumer so uh we've actually run with that quote for the last 20 years and uh worst game ever is a trademark we own now and and we put slightly better than boxed syphilis and worst game ever on everything we sell i mean um do i think the reviewer was wrong yeah but it was a hilarious quote, and and I'm actually friends with the guy now. I, I can't say he loves us, but, you know, he knows that quote sort of went down. And I think that it is easier nowadays for the press to hate on us because they know we use these quotes than, than, than what they would normally give out. I mean, I'm not saying we sit around making uh, amazing games. We don't. We really like just making pieces of shit that we laugh at. But... Uh, the media does not have a great relationship with our, <laughs> with our, with our history. So. so, I mean, as you were saying, Postal 3, um, it's erased from history, basically. Um, what made you... Postal 3 to- sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Postal 3 sucks. I sell stickers on my site that says Postal 3 sucks. So, was it the fact that it was so bad that you guys had to go back in and... Was it a 12-year gap between Postal 2 and the DLC that came out? Uh, Yeah, Postal 2 came out in 2003, and Paradise Lost came out in 2015. Um, Yeah, I mean, Postal 3, long story short, our Russian publishers that had made a ton of money off of Postal 2 wanted to be involved with Postal 3. They wanted to fund it. They had, you know, 100-something developers at their office. They were making pretty high-quality games. And so they they licensed the rights to make Postal 3. And we were working on it with them, but like only high-level stuff. We designed the game. Um, we had a couple of modeler, modelers at the house. At, in-house, we had a 2D artist that made all the uh, animated cutscenes. But the game spun out of control with the economic downturn that happened in 2008. I mean, the Russian gaming industry just like tanked beyond repair. Every good programmer and artist left the industry. Um, the the game ended up being sort of packaged together by by much uh, less quality developers over time. And Akella put out what is now known as one of the worst games ever. Um, that came out in Christmas of 2011. And it wasn't until a few months after that that we applied for Postal 2 to be on Steam. We had been trying for five years to get Postal 2 on Steam and Valve just kept telling us no. And then they launched a service called Greenlight, which allowed indies to put up uh, their concepts and the fans to vote on what they wanted to be there. So we yeah. threw Postal 2 up there and 
even though it got pulled down at first because Valve thought it was just fans doing that, it ended up getting voted through, got put up on Steam, and like all of a sudden we're selling tons of copies of this game and we have all this money coming in and we're like, okay, well, we need to fix the game. We need to include Steamworks stuff, achievements, all that good stuff. But once we finished with all that, we were like, well, shit, we need to do something um, for these people. And and we had all these, you know, these modders that were helping us out and we're like, well, they all know the engine. So we might as well make an add on for postal Two. And so sometime in 2014, I think, which, you know, it's 11 plus years later, we have a team working on an entire total conversion DLC of Postal 2 called Paradise Lost. And um, it came out in 2015 and it's still one of the highest rated DLCs on Steam. It's definitely one of the uh, (laughs) latest releasing add-ons for a game ever. And uh, we're very proud of it. And, And it really sort of brought us to where we are today. I mean, you know, we've had a couple of misses since we worked on a remake of Postal 1 called Postal Redux, which while it is a very good remake, it just never sold well. Um, we worked on a VR title for a couple of years that just never came out. That's not Postal related. It's called Assault and Battery. Um, and that sort of led us into Postal 4 back in like 2018. So, uh, you know, everything post-Postal 3, which didn't help you know it essentially would have put any normal studio out of business um steam putting out postal 2 really revived us and and, and allowed us to stay alive and, and is why we're here today so i know you were sort of saying about the russian development one of my favorite games you probably wouldn't have heard of it because it's for the like the the amiga 1200 and it was called cannon fodder and they had like cannon fodder one and two it's like a squad-based, really small sprite, point and click with a mouse, guiding your men, shooting the enemies. And it was like a tongue-in-cheek war simulator sort of game. It yep. was really fun. And then the designers let the some Russian team make the third game. And that was an abomination of a game. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Um, I don't think it was going to be bad. The original team that was working on the game was actually very good. And the original um, tech demo was very good. Uh, but those guys all left the team. And the people that came in, you know, the game was too big. It was designed too big for them and they couldn't handle it. <laughs> we switched to Source Engine for some reason. And it was just a nightmare, just all around. And and it's unfortunate that the game never got fixed. You know, they released it. It was completely broken. They did release one patch, which at least fixed a few things and made it so the opening level didn't crash. But then they fired the whole team. So um, Postal 3 had sort of been sitting in this fucked up state on Steam for about 10 years. And then last year, uh, the DRM that they never took off the game for some fucking reason broke um i'm guessing it's because it was star force and star force is based in russia and the war something got disconnected and uh people couldn't even boot postal 3 anymore because the drm was crashing so valve pulled postal 3 off of steam which doesn't bother me slight in the slightest aside from the fact that i get 
10 to 15 emails a day asking me for steam keys for a game that doesn't work. So, um, <laughs> it sort of sucks. I mean, even though the game's terrible, at least there was a place for people to buy it. Um, there are places for people to buy it today. I mean, you can use the, there's a, there's a gaming site called zoom platform, which is different than the zoom we're talking on right now. And they sell a DRM free version of postal three. Um, unfortunately it appears they only, uh, sell in us dollars and don't allow, um, many international people to buy it. So um, it's kind of fucked up, but there's nothing we can do about it. I'd love to be able to say I could fix it, but I can't. So so I know the Postal 2 DLC that you did got massive positive reviews when that came out. Yeah. Was that goodwill that you created in that time? Is that when you decided to carry on and actually do the Postal 4? No, <laughs> that's when we decided to remake Postal 1. <laughs> and uh, it was a good learning experience. I mean, it was how we learned how to use Unreal 4. But um, it was also a learning experience in like, well, Postal 1 never was a big seller. Like, it's well known, but it's just not our popular game. Nobody cared about the isometric shooter view, the serious tone of it. Um and while we lightened up the tone a little bit for Redux, it just still never sold well. It never sold well on PC. It never sold well on PlayStation. But, long story, um, Redux was our first foray into console. You know, um, a company approached us a few years back and said, hey, we want to port Postal Redux to Switch. And we kind of laughed because, like, yeah, sure, buddy. Like, I'm sure Nintendo is going to approve this. And they were like, no, 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 Nintendo will approve this. And we're like, okay, well, it's your money. Have fun. And so they applied and they got approved for Switch and they ported it and they ported it to PlayStation and they ported it to Xbox. And of course, it came out on Switch first and then PlayStation 4. Um, Microsoft, for whatever reason, did not approve it. And that has carried on till today. They didn't approve Postal 4 either. But um, while Postal Redux um, is not some big seller it was our first console game. So uh, it is an important milestone for us that that game ended up having the legs it did. I mean, it's been on sale on Steam since 2016. It's been on sale on PlayStation and Switch since 2020. So, um, you know, it's still out there doing numbers and, and it's and it's our only game on Switch. I mean, Switch is definitely not a console that we would even attempt to put Postal 4 onto. Um, but it is nice to know in the future that that Switch is an option, that Nintendo consoles are an option for us. And for some reason, Microsoft consoles are not. Um, but I'd like to say that we're, you know, we're now a PC and console developer. So, so Postal 4 then. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. <clears throat> Postal 2, I remember because I think I'd have been about 18, 20 years old when it came out. And mm -hmm. that sort of game is perfect to me. You know, just the stupid humor, the violence, the grotesque bits of it. It made me sure. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but getting older, because I'm like in my early 40s now, I think my PC's upstairs and it's just sat and it's a really old PC. I don't use it at all. I've got right. my PlayStation 5 and my Xbox Series X. So I've been out of the PC games for the last sort of five years, maybe. I mean, yep. I'll be honest, I think I got an email from you guys, it must have been two, three years ago, about Postal 4. 
And because I don't have a PC, I just deleted it and I've not thought about it since. So how has the game been received since it's come out? Well, you know, we put it out in early access in 2019 and we put it out in what would be considered a completely unreleasable state. You know, we put it out mostly because we had to, you know, we had this concept. We were originally working on uh, a remake of Postal 2 and then we decided that, you know, it's just too much work for a remake. So we said, let's make the next game. And it got to a point where like we needed to monetize. And so we used early access to help monetize the game, which it did do that. I mean, when we put it out, it was in a really, 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 really early alpha state. Janky is all hell, broken, but people didn't care. They were like, this is obviously the next Postal 2. Um, let's let's fund this shit. And, and it did really well on early access. And unfortunately, our heads got too big for the product. And we over-designed and we over-hired. And, and the design sort of just got away from us and... Um, you know, after about two and a half years in early access, we needed to leave early access because early access sort of will only carry you so far and you need to get to that 1.0 release to monetize some more. So we were using early access as a form of crowdfunding and uh, we definitely left early access a little too early, which we were very transparent about. We needed to come out of early access. We needed to monetize. And so last year, a just over a year ago on 420-2022, um, we left early access and the reviews were not great. I mean, the game was still in a fucked up state. It wasn't completely optimized yet, but we, like we said, we were honest about it, which didn't impress any press. <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't work. Um, but uh, we have been honest with our word and we've spent every dollar we've made continuing to work on this game. And, for the last year, we've continued to release updates. We paid a porting house in Ukraine to work on the console port and to help us with optimization. Um, the optimization on the game has come a long way. The game works on a lot lesser PC now. It runs on a PS4, although I don't recommend that experience to anybody that could potentially play it on a PS5. Um, but as of March uh, 21st of this year, the game is out for PlayStation 4 and 5 now, and we are still continuing to work on this game for the foreseeable future. I mean, this is not Abandonware. This is not Postal 3. We are spending every dollar we make on this game. I mean, just like Postal 2, you know, it, it, people seem to have these rose-colored goggles with what Postal 2 is, and they think that this 20-year-old game has always been the game that it is today. It has not. The game was very buggy, and janky for a really long time. I mean, full disclosure, the game's still very buggy and janky, and that's the way it's always going to be. But it does have 20 years of updates, mods incorporated, and just endless love that's been thrown at it from all corners of the earth. Um, Postal 4 is going to be like that too, and and you know, people will hopefully in the future remember Postal 4 very differently than they do right now. I mean, there's definitely a subsection of Postal 2 fans that hate Postal 4 because it's not Postal 2. Um, you know, they wanted a game where you could shoot terrorists and, and I don't know, you know, we're not the same company we were in 2003. Like there's definitely more slapstick humor. The game is meant to be way funnier than Postal 2 was. Postal 2 is a lot more black humor. And, and while it is significantly more slapsticky than Postal 1, you know, we have definitely, 
gone up in that in that regard. I mean, especially if you played Paradise Lost, like you kind of know what you're getting with us. Um, so there is a, a, a section of our our fan base that just doesn't like Postal Four because it doesn't have the exact same jokes as Postal Two. Of which to say, I tell them, if you want to play Postal Two, play Postal Two. I mean, it's it's a different game. We're we're not making. We weren't. We were remaking Postal Two, but then we stopped. So. Um, and that is a possibility that one day we will finish that project. I mean, post, it was called Postal 2x2, and it was meant to be an HD remake of Postal 4 so that we can put it out on PlayStation. Um, that product may still happen someday, but that's not what Postal 4 is. Um, but Postal 4 has done very well, and it's continuing to sell. And now that it's out on PlayStation 4 and 5, it's selling even more. And and I see a way, way more good fan comments than bad fan comments. I mean, you know, there's haters in every walk of life and and that's just the way it is and, and we make a very hot button game so we expect love and hate and and even from our fans so it's all good well now that i know it's on playstation 5 i will download it and play it um i will just like to say thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure i love talking to people who are very honest and candid with responses not the ones who are like media trained just to try and brush things off. Check out Postal 4 on PlayStation. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I feel as though like when you're talking to people, especially people with passion, you can have good experience or bad experiences, but people just need to know the experiences you've had. So yeah. the games might be crap, but it's still a good story to hear how the games ended up that way because no yeah, one i mean they don't want to design a bad game but no nobody does but in... i think that i think the biggest problem with the industry itself and and this is you know a little on both sides most of the community has no idea what goes into making the game but a lot of the industry doesn't seem to care what the community thinks right i mean nowadays Every big game is coming out buggy and running like crap. And, and I mean, even the biggest titles, right? Like, it doesn't make me feel better overall that AAA titles are coming out in a fucked up state. That doesn't make me think to, to myself, well, it's okay that we did. I'm not particularly happy that we came out in the state we're in. I'm not even happy in the state we're at now. I mean, we're in a lot better place than we were two, three years ago or even one year ago. But we still should be further along. But I can sit here and say, like, we are an indie that has a hard time paying the bills. <laughs> uh, EA and Remedy, they're not having a hard time paying their bills. The fact that they released Jedi Survivor in the state it's in is pretty fucked up. And I mean, the director of the game from Remedy was pretty candid yesterday saying like EA actually offered him an extended schedule and they rejected it because they wanted to keep their timetable and not compete against other titles. That's fucked up. Mm. They had more time and more budget to do more things. We did it. And and I and I don't I don't think that's a great excuse. I mean, I feel for the people that were pissed off about how our game was when it released, even though we were up front and we've and we've gone on to fix a lot of those problems. I feel for them. The bigger companies don't seem to care. I mean, Cyberpunk came out in a terrible state. Fucking the new Saints Row came out in a terrible state. All these games are coming out in really, really fucked up states. And yeah. Game design has become an albatross, right? Like 
the fans demand the best graphics, the biggest open world, the best performance, and those aren't going to happen anymore. I mean, as you see, these companies are committing to running 30 frames per second on PlayStation 5 because they need to keep these these unrealistic expectations alive. And and it's it's really screwy. And it's why I really like the boomer shooter industry because it's sort of bringing back retro gaming. I mean, obviously, it's sort of gotten oversaturated, but retro gaming allows for much cooler games to happen with very low demand on, on specs and, and graphics, and they can run on any computer. I mean, we're getting new games in the build engine. Like, that's crazy, and, and I love it. But, you know, in, in the mainstream here, like, people really want these big AAA titles, and, and they're getting really pissed off that they're buying these games for what is insane base prices. I mean, I just bought Jedi Survivor. It cost me $76, and I just bought the base level game, which is crazy. I mean, I get hate mail every day talking about how $40 is too much to charge for Postal 4 because it's been out for a year. And I'm like, actually, it just came out on PlayStation. It's a new game on PlayStation, and it's only 40 bucks. You could go buy Jedi Survivor, which is $70, and it has its fair share of problems. So like it, it's, you're not going to, you're not going to make everybody happy, but you're, you just hope that you make, you know, the main core group of fans happy. And and I think we've done that very well. Um, you know, this is a 25 year old brand at this point, almost 26 year old brand at this point. So it's, it's been a long windy hilly road, but we're still here and we're still having fun. So So, everyone's got PlayStation, buy the new game. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please buy Postal 4 on PlayStation. When you buy it for 40 bucks, you actually get the PS4 and the PS5 copy. So, if you're on a PS4 and you're planning to upgrade, you'll get that upgrade for free. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's a much better experience. So, what is next for the Postal team? Well, running with scissors, um, that'll be Postal. I mean, currently, we're just working on Postal 4. We have co-op in development, um, and we're just constantly trying to make Postal 4 what we wanted it to be at launch, which clearly is a long time ago, but it doesn't matter. That's that's what we're working on. Um, and it is possible that the next product will be um, that remake of Postal 2. Uh, we still have that. Uh, other IP called Assault and Battery sitting on the shelf. It's a VR title that we worked on for a while, but it'd be nice to get that out one day. It just needs some updating and to be finished. Um, but that whole IP could use a new game as well. I mean, it's it's not a game about postal. It's not. It's a. It's actually kind of an adult game about toys. So um, can't speak much more about it. But it is a cool, different title, and maybe one day that'll come out. So. How has VR been for you guys? Terrible. I think it's been a bit of a fad for a couple of years, and now it's kind of dying down again. Yeah, I mean, VR development's really hard, actually. Um, what is already very hard, which is working long hours and, and burying your head, trying to get stuff working, all of a sudden you have to incorporate putting on and taking off a headset which when things aren't working can make you really sick. Mm. So VR development kind of sucked. And it was a long time ago. I mean, we were working on a VR title um, in 2016 and 2017. So it was really early on, um, but it wasn't particularly fun. 
Um, and the reason why we stopped is because of diminishing returns. I mean, yeah, there's more headsets out there now than there was then, but it's still a relatively high entry point and there just isn't that many out there. So trying to make money on a VR title is very hard. And yeah, we're not completely in this to make money, but a product has to be able to break even for you to make it. But so you, you need to live. At the end yeah, of the day, exactly. you guys need to right. live. We do need to live and living means making more games. Yeah. And, and, and while I would like to monetize the VR title we worked on one day, it will require us sinking more money into it to get it to that point. So um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, we all love VR here. But to this day, the only game that ever came out on VR, which I can say I completed in full and was a great experience, was Alex. And... Is that because it's made by Valve and it's a Half-Life game? Maybe. Maybe I'm biased because I just wanted the next Half-Life game. But that's the only game I've played where I felt it was a full gaming experience. And it still wasn't even that long. You know, it was 10, 11 hours, which is a really long VR experience. Mm. But it's just not a very long game overall. And it's still the only complete VR experience that that I think has you know, given people what they wanted out of VR. I mean, there's a lot of little games that are very cool. One being Moss. That's actually kind of the same concept of what we were working on with Assault and Battery, but um, it's still too niche. Yeah, I mean, I bought the PlayStation VR, unboxed it all, which took ages, all the wires and all the little components, played one lap of Drive Club, felt so ill, put everything back into the box, put it in the cupboard for two years, then I just sold it. I was just like, I'm not playing that again. I know. I have a couple of VR headsets here, and when I get them, I play with them for a little bit, and I have fun, and then I put it away, and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So, anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure talking. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me, man. Long live the Postal franchise. I love (laughs) seeing the indie games and the, the underdogs still being there still doing a good job yeah we're still here somehow and we owe it all to the fans and the people that have bought our shit over the last 25 years uh you know thanks that's that's all we say we we love our fans we stay in contact with them every day and we're only here because of them so so thank you so much of course right how do i stop this (laughs) I don't know. Oh, anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And I, I'm serious. I will turn on the PlayStation now. We'll buy that game now. Thank All you right. for the support, my man. It means a lot. It's absolutely fine. I loved the second one. I never played the third one. I wanted You'll it when I saw it in the magazines for the Xbox 360. Yep. Did it ever come out never for the 360? Out. I don't think it did. Yeah. But no. I saw the pictures and it looked amazing. Was he holding yeah. like a badger up or something as a weapon? Yep. Or yep. Wolverine or something. Postal three had a had a lot of potential. It just never the finished product was not even remotely finished and it didn't get any love afterwards. So there's a couple of fan mods that are being worked on that sort of are supposed to be making it better. There's one that's been in development for a while. It's called Catharsis Reborn. It has potential, so hopefully somebody can make that game playable. So I think sometimes 
you don't need the grand opera story. You just need something to turn on for 20 minutes and have a bit of a piss around. That's what we try for. You know, people ask me sometimes, what's your game about? And I'm like, it's actually a game about nothing. Yeah. Like there's a plot, but it's sort of bullshit. I mean, the game is really just meant to be a pet rock. You know, it's meant to be something where you can take out your aggressions and have some fun. I mean, that's it. I mean, if you go into Postal 4 on your PlayStation looking for like some grand operatic experience, it ain't going to be that. It really is the next Postal 2. And will it live up to what's in your head? Maybe, maybe not. But it is fun. And, um, you know, just remember, it was made by less than 30 guys spread all over the world with passion. It's hard to make these fucking games. So when you run into bugs, let me know about them. But <laughs> there's going to be bugs. So It's absolutely cool. Oh, thank you so much. I will let you get on. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you, man. Bye. Right. See ya. Hello, Andy. This is Colin. I won't be able to get in tonight. No, 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 no. I'm sweating all big. I'm sweating all big. Still David, still One Up Gaming, still episode 350 of the One Up Gaming podcast. That's another chat. That's another one done. And we've got two more games to talk about. And this time we're going to talk about Crazy Strike Bowling EX. And I believe I played this on the PlayStation 5. I believe. And it's a very, very basic bowling game. It almost makes Wii Bowling look advanced. Don't get me wrong. The graphics are really nice and crisp and clear. It's got some wacky anime style characters. And it's a nice little game. It's not. If it was like fifteen pound or more, you're probably paying too much. Uh, it, if it's associated with a brand of anime, I don't have a clue if it is or not because I've never heard of it. I've never seen any of these people. But yeah, I would say if you can find it for ten pound or less. $10 or less, give it a go, it's not a bad little game, it's just not a great game. And next up, Warped Kart Racers, now this is a kart racer game that I'm going to get it wrong, but it seemed to have Family Guy, American Dad, um, oh, what the hell is that one with Bobby and his dad that sell propane? Uh, nope, I've completely blanked on it. I've completely blanked on it. King of the Hill, there we go. Jeez. And it probably had a load of other things as well, but that's as far as I got. It's a basic kart racing game on mobile, on was it Apple Arcade, I think it was. So it looked nice, it played okay, a little bit simple. And I didn't like the fact of all of the mechanics built into a lot of mobile games but it looked nice it had sound effects it had character voices that is what you need in this day and age so yeah that's that one so we'll cut back and we'll go back into another chat so one of gaming episode 350 thank you back in a few and we're back. It's One Up Gaming. It's episode 350 of the One Up Gaming podcast. So it's me, David, and we've got a special guest. If you want to introduce yourself and what do you do, please? 
Sure. I'm Joseph Dowling. I work for Four Quarters, one of the original founders of Four Quarters, which is the UK's original arcade bar. And I'm also a writer. So about the arcade bar, how? because I was looking into doing something like like an arcade bar, but with like retro consoles. Yeah. Where people would come in, pay like five pound or whatever, or two pound, get an hour's time. Yeah. But it just worked out that it's probably not worth the effort of, for the money coming in. So would you say yeah. your bar is more the drinks and stuff and the games and arcades are just the added bonus? Yeah, I'd say uh, it's our USP, but it's, we've always had the philosophy that it's bar first, gaming second. Um, and I, I think there's other models that where people maybe go the other way around. And we, we want to be a, a bar that people would want to go and drink in, even if they're not gamers. So, uh, you know, that means good drinks, good atmosphere and a good game selection. But plenty of our customers are not necessarily there for the games. And all five of our bars are very different. So, you know, our flagship bar in Elephant and Castle is packed to the rafters with, with consoles and arcades. It's got 30 arcade machines. Um, but the, the the site in Hackney has got a big <coughs> outdoor beer garden where in the summer maybe might be 100 people out in that beer garden and so, a lot of those people aren't that interested, if at all interested in in the game's angle. But talking about other models, I mean, Arcade Club are the obvious ones. They do a paid entry model of, of £10 or, or whatever and their bar is, is less important for them. But uh, it's always been bar first for us. So do you ever sell the old arcades and put the money into new arcades or do you just collect everything that you've got? Well, we probably are a bit too much on the side of hoarding, but we're trying to get better at that. So we do trade a bit. Our uh, arcade engineer, Tom, he works full time on that side of the business. And we, yeah, we do do a bit of trading. I mean, our mindset a few years ago was don't sell anything, but now just because we're running out of space, we would like to try and get new machines in. And it's a bit of a one in one out policy at times now, just because we've got a lot of machines that maybe aren't that attractive to our customer base because they're maybe a bit too difficult or machines we've had a bit of technical problems with that aren't maybe durable enough for the rigors of being on a site where everyone's drinking and smashing the controllers and <laughs> you know not being as gentle as you might hope if you've got your pristine arcade cab that you don't want a scratch on so i mean if you know anyone that might be selling either a ridge racer or a sega rally or a virtual fighter 2 cab i'd be very interested well i don't i think we've got a virtual fighter 2 we've got all those machines but i don't think they're the ones we'd, we'd want to get rid of i mean twin racers are just they're just such popular machines and, and we'd, we'd love to get more of those, I think. But uh, uh, upright single-player Sega Rally, they come up quite a bit, so you shouldn't have too much trouble Yeah, one of them or a Daytona. But, uh, yeah, Virtual Fighter 2, yeah, I think they come up. But the, the sit-down, need a lot of space for those. The old yeah, twin, you do. twin races. But so, I mean, I, I was interested in the, is it the arcade one-ups? But there's hardly any of them in the UK. A lot of them are just American only. Right, I'm not too familiar with that, unfortunately. Ah, uh, it's 
yeah, we'll, we'll carry on. So, <laughs> so you've wrote a book, and now you've got—is it your second one? You've you're getting ready. It is. I've got a, a dystopian thriller out on a small press from America called Mandate Thirteen. But what will be much more of interest to your listeners will be my book I'm about to release, which is a self-published book called The Outrunners which is heavy, heavily video games influenced. It's actually the first novel I wrote, but um, I finally got around to polishing it and making it fit for consumption. Um, and it's set in 1983 in the golden age of video games um, in San Jose. It's about it's a coming-of-age story about uh, a snarky English goth who moves to California when her dad gets a job at Atari and her th- the three boys who are essentially her suitors and um yeah it's a coming age story but the arcades feature very heavily that the, the um, climax of the story involves a, a big arcade olympiad where the three uh, well, some of the boys are competing on on various arcade machines and the it's a constant presence throughout the um throughout the story is that sort of um you know classic arcades the music of the time, the the movies of the time. So it's a, it's quite a nostalgia piece. So have you sort of like got the arcade period correct sort of thing? So it'd be like the late 70s, early 80s arcades in there. Or have you added a couple more just? <laughs> well, I've, I'm pretty uh, fastidious with my research. You know, I'd like to think... I haven't made any mistakes. My only problem I've hit with this is because is the um, the, the the characters they're much more skilled than I am. You know, they're more on your your uh, Billy Mitchell level than your Joe Dowling level of ability. So I yeah I haven't got anywhere near the skill level my characters have. So hopefully I haven't messed up with any of the uh, intricacies because like I say the games do feature quite heavily. You know, Defender, Tron. Um, Pac-Man, um, Missile Command, um, Robotron, all these classics. And I've got to say, I'm not brilliant at any of these games. So I probably yeah, wouldn't be threatening the high scoreboards even on, on any of those games, as much as I love to play a lot of them. But um, no, I've, re- I've definitely researched all the, the dates and there shouldn't be any inaccuracies there. Star Wars, um, the Star Wars sit-down cab, is um is featured in the book and that's like a new arrival and everyone's like ah look at this the holy grail and then later in the book um what is it uh you know the laser gauntlet the laser disc game has just been released so should all be consistent with the dates yeah did you ever think of changing it to the late 80s so you could have sega's racer outrunners in there (laughs) well um not specifically. I mean, I'm, I'm potentially writing a follow-up that would be set in the mid '90s, so I can uh, do a bit more of that era. But, I mean, you you're singing off my hymn sheet. Late '80s is is my era too, in terms of um, you know. I think that was when the, there was the biggest excitement around arcades because they were just so much better than the home console. So you're probably similar age to me your mind was just blown away by these games. I remember stepping into my local minicab office, which is where I discovered a lot of arcades, and seeing these machines. I I had a little Spectrum at home or whatever, some, you know, tape 
a tape a computer and just the difference it was like later into the 90s obviously the um home computers caught up and uh exceeded in, in many respects what was in the arcades but back then if you wanted to get that experience you had to go and put your 10p or your 20ps in and play it in the arcades yeah i remember i think it was the the teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game the four player court one yeah me and my brother on a holiday at blue dolphin we'd, we'd have been about nine ten yeah and we were just putting 20p after 20p in that machine <laughs> and that was like 20p wasn't it wasn't nothing back then you know <laughs> like uh turtles is a staple at all our bars you know everyone loves that 90s ip but i know exactly what you mean and for me it was operation wolf i remember playing that at uh, an arcade in Broadstairs, and just oh, i could never get past the second level i still can't get past the bloody jungle level but i just you know spent all my pocket money there and then when i discovered arcades i think it was pole position was the one that really grabbed me and it was 10p i just put my one pound 50 pocket money in that and I'd, I'd never get past the first race but it was just so much fun and then um they started introducing machines like smash tv which was 20p ago and the credit would last like a minute so yeah 20p when you've got like a couple of quid pocket money it doesn't last very long and then the 50p games oh my god i mean i think for me my eyes opened when Sega first introduced like the Model 2 arcade board. Yeah. So Daytona, yeah. Virtual Fighter 2, Sega Rally, um, all these sort of classics. And I think they were a pound yeah. ago. Wow, yeah, I suppose they couldn't be. I remember I'd, by that point I'd probably stopped paying attention. But I remember when NBA Jam was 50p a credit and that would have been in like 1995 and 50p a credit and you needed like eight credits just to play a game it's like yeah you're getting out of the realms of affordability now but um so that would be sort of mid early mid 90s you're talking with the i think about 94 to 96 that sort of Mm. but i think with the sega model 2 board i think Mm. that cost sega over a million dollars to yeah. develop so i think it, it, you were paying the tax for how much it cost them to manufacture right yeah i mean that's just sega through and through isn't it they uh, certainly spent a lot of money developing stuff but the those sega we've got quite a few of those in the arcade in our bars and um, sega rally daytona always popular and then the virtual fight too we've got all those you know virtual tennis um like those interchangeable boards there um the crazy taxi is another one that, that we use um, but yeah i kind of i think i'd stopped following the arcades at that point and I, yeah and then obviously playstation came along and suddenly you could get that same experience at home you know it was a total game changer i think that dovetails quite well with the, the decline of arcades because you know Who's going to go and pump pound coins into something that you can almost copy with your PlayStation at home for thirty pound or whatever it costs? Well, I don't know about you, but where I lived up, because I'm from the northeast of England, and yeah. up here there was no arcades, no arcade bars, no. We had to travel to either like a, a holiday resort. Or it was like going down to Leeds and Lower, where there'd be some arcades. 
well, so I never really got the chance to play any of the arcades in an arcade setting. Did Whitley Bay not have a good arcade scene? Yeah, that's still about two and a half hours from me. Okay, well, fair enough. I mean, same boat really for me. We, um, I was lucky enough to have this mini cab office, like I said, um, this mini cab office that always had four or five arcade machines in, and that was what captured me, you know. Um, and then I guess there was a few machines in the bowling alley or whatever, but yeah, the real arcades were all down on the coast, so Ramsgate, Broadstairs, you know, all those places, Margate, just Brighton at the time. But I think that, yeah, stepping into those places was amazing because you'd just be like a hundred machines rather than three or four. So yeah, it was a very rare treat. I can just imagine the smoke filled halls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely of its time. But, um, yeah, this is definitely something I've tried to capture in my book. You know, those uh, arcades, the sticky, sticky carpeted arcades with smoke and just general ambience of flashing lights and uh, all the noises bring back that, evoke that exact memory. So. You say that you're self-publishing this book, the new, the new yeah. one. Uh, if you don't mind, what is the process of <clears throat> self-publishing? Well, I've, this work, I've not not got massive expectations for this because, like I said, it's pretty much the first thing I wrote of any substantial length. And uh, I think yeah, it's a nice little nostalgia piece. I think it's a fun story. Um, you can put as little or as much into these things as you want. I mean, with my first novel, we had about a six-month lead time. And if you want to do it properly, you need to get advanced reader copies out there and start getting a bit of a buzz and getting people reviewing it on their social media and their blogs. But it is uh, a very saturated industry, so you are not going to unless you've got a huge marketing budget, you're not going to get thousands of reviews. And, you know, it's just um, being realistic, I guess. But the process for actually self-publishing these days is so easy, which is one of the problems of the industry is anyone can do it. And there is a, I suppose there's no quality control to self-release on Amazon. You can release any any poorly edited piece of junk. So, um, for me, this, this this particular book, aside from the writing procedure and getting it read by multiple people and collating feedback, and besides the actual writing of it and finishing it, once you've done that, you need to design a cover or get someone to design a cover. You need to someone to uh, typeset it, essentially, to format it for um, ebook and print. And then it's really just a case of uploading it to Amazon on Kindle Direct publishing and, and you can set the date and you can release it tomorrow you can release it in a year it's really up to you and how you want to um, how you want to play things and what your strategy is but like I said for this particular book I don't have that high expectations I just want to get it out there and, and get people reading it and I'm you know gonna only be a couple of quid for this particular one I'll be on Kindle Unlimited and just want to get it out to as many people as possible. So, um, yeah, happy to advise if you go down that route and 
So I mean, okay, I looked, I mean it might be different now, but I looked, it must have been about 10 years ago. I think when the Kindle sort of first came out. Yeah. And I looked to do self-publishing. And the cheapest place I could find, they were saying that you'd have to pay £300 up front and then they'd do the rest sort of thing. Yeah, there's plenty of these places that will either do all of it for you or do bits and bobs. But to be honest with you, you don't need them anymore. They're just going to charge you more for things you could do yourself. I mean, they call a lot of them vanity presses. They'll essentially release your book and you pay them to do it all. But you're always paying inflated money. And, and print-on-demand is, is the future for independent publishing because no one wants to print off 2,000, 10,000 copies of a book and then have them all returned to you, to you when they didn't sell. So print on demand, Amazon, the quality, as long as you do your proofing correctly and, and make sure it, it's done right, the quality is almost indistinguishable from a, a normal print run. And, um, you know, if you sell 10 paperbacks, they'll print 10 paperbacks. There's no thousands of books coming back to be pulped like Alan Partridge bouncing back or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess that sounds similar to like our sort of like like outfitsy stuff that we we sell because it's all print on demand. Because like, if yeah. you want to get the products to sell for like, I can get a hoodie printed to sell for about fifteen pound, yeah. but I'd have to yeah. buy ten thousand hoodies. Yeah, and it's like I can't afford that. I'd rather no, have to sell is... the hoodies for twenty to twenty-five pound, and have no outlay cost. I think it's in many aspects of where we're at as a species. It's, it's the way forward because it's less waste and it's just more efficient, isn't it? Than like you say, you could make ten thousand items of clothing. You might get the sizing and colours wrong, and end up. You've, it's such a outdated concept i think of, of getting all like back in i don't know if you're ever in bands but i used to record my album or demo or whatever and get a thousand cds made up and you end up with 800 copies of your cd at your parents house or whatever in boxes gathering dust and nowadays there's just no need because of in video games and music it's electronic format there's no need to create all this waste so you know it's, i'd just call it a positive thing in in most industries that on demand services so the book it's not out yet do you have the release date may the 30th it'll be out on ebook and then it'll follow on paperback um print on demand from amazon um probably a couple of weeks later if you do want to get your hands on a physical copy, I mean, I prefer to read physical books, but you know, yeah, I, different. I I like physical books. I mean, I bought, I think it was the blooming, was it Aragon? Some stupid sci-fi book that some like fifteen-year-old wrote, and okay. the book was actually not too bad. Then they did a movie, and it was uh, atrocious. But I bought like a box set with all three books and I read about the first three chapters and I never touched it again. But yeah, it looked nice on the shelf. 
At least you can pass it on to somebody else, you know. Do that. I was going to... What was I going to say something there? Oh, yeah, so, I mean, talking in that realm, I mean, with your video games, I think people of our age are kind of tend to be collectors, but nowadays no one cares. They just get it on Steam or download it on the PlayStation Store. Are you? Do you like to collect physical games? I see you've got your cushions there, which... Uh, I used to have over 30,000 games and bits and bobs and but over the years moving house and it's a nightmare moving all these boxes around of stuff so now of course all i really collect now is i've got the is it the blaze evercade yeah it's like a little tiny handheld but it's got physical cartridges and each cartridge is like six to eight games on and like there was a Codemasters one and it had all the sensible software games on. And there's a Gremlin one which had like the actual soccer and some other Mega Drive sort of games. Yeah. And I, I find that quite good because each game's only like £15. And it's a nice thing to collect and they release a new game every couple okay. of months. So you're not, there's not a thousand games to sort of like try and buy. Well, that does sound good, yeah. So it takes up a lot, lot less space. So when did you sell your collection? Oh, it was when I moved. I, I used to live in Glasgow, and when I was going to move back from Glasgow, it was like I needed money to put down for like the house and everything, and so yeah. I just went and sold it all before I moved back down to like the UK. What year was that? Oh God. That was only about 2017. Okay, so you certainly didn't miss out then because I think that was one of the quite close to where things were peaking out in terms of value. Yeah, I mean, the the stuff that I sold, I think I'd have paid roughly about, for all the, all the stuff that I, I didn't sell it all, but the stuff that I sold, I think I paid about £2,500 for it all. And when I sold it, I got about six thousand back. Because we, uh, I used to run a video game shop with Tom, who Tom Humphrey, who uh, I founded business with originally. We we started a, a video game, a retro video game shop called Retro Game Base, uh, which ran in Streatham from two thousand and twelve to two thousand and seventeen, and we opened the first bar in two thousand fourteen. So yeah, that shop opened up doors for us to to start the the bar business but uh yeah it was a fun little business but even during that time the availability of games on ebay the cost the value of like your common garden marrow carts and and all the sort of games people want regularly that the value completely skyrocketed so it, it it became difficult to get enough stock to make that a viable business but I think that was when things really exploded in, in the mid 2010s with, with retro collecting and the value. I mean, you've probably seen what the value of sealed games, what happened to that in the last five, yeah, six years. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I used to love going to like car boot sales and stuff. Mm. But I think now people know how much things are worth. Exactly. Whereas before you get for like 20p, 50p, whereas now it's like 15, 20 quid. It's like, yeah. yeah, everyone can check on eBay or whatever. But, but back then, this is it, sort of early 
from 2000 onwards, if you think the value of all those 90s consoles was really low and everyone just, you know, I've got a PS2, I'm just going to buy all PS2 games, I don't need all this stuff. People were just almost giving it away right up until the early 2010s. And then, like you say, people became a bit, a lot more savvy about the, the value of these things and the boot sales. You could yeah pick up bargains left, right and centre if you're willing to put in the yards. I mean, um, we sold part of a collection for somebody who'd hoarded tens of thousands of items from mostly from boot sales and they they bought it all up in that early 2000s when Gumtree, boot sales, charity shops, you could just get amazing bargains. But that era is in the past along with our um, boxes of CDs and <laughs> boxes of hoodies and boxes of books that we were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's killed it for me, I mean, I don't mind paying a premium for a, a sought-after game. Yeah. But I think anyone just sort of sees a Mega Drive game or a Super Nintendo game, and they basically just think that just because it's old, it's worth... Yeah. Quid. And it might be like... Italian 90 or something. It's like, <laughs> I want 50 quid for it. It's like, why? It's worth peanuts. Uh, that always used to make me laugh when people had to... We get it sometimes with the arcades because some idiots put a t- Teenage Turtles cab on eBay for two grand. They're like, oh, you could buy this for, from us for two grand. I'm like, no, we're not going to pay you two grand for that. Yeah, no, completely. I'm a, the, the delusional people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a crazy world that we live in. <laughs> I mean, I think people will try to buy or well, sell nothing for as much as they can get. Mm. But at the same time, there's a lot of just stuff that people don't want. So if you've got the time and effort, to, you can get a lot of stuff for free as well so seems to be one or the other yeah i mean i know it took me a long time to because i've got a, a room behind me a spare room and i've got like me sega saturn and nintendo 64 set up yeah and i was looking for a, a 32 inch crt sort of classic tv yeah. <laughs> and everywhere was selling them for like 150 200 pound and I went to visit one of my old girlfriends, sort of like uh, family down in Sheffield. And on the way back, I just went on Facebook Marketplace and there yeah. was like thousands that were just free. So as we were driving up, I just sort of stopped at someone's house and pushed it in the back of the car and drove off. Yeah. So, I mean, this is it. They are, but it will come a point where every, all our retro gamers need a CRT and they've all been junked. So it is definitely not as easy to find them as it, as it was. Otherwise, you've got to buy an upscaler and all that. But yeah, it's yeah, got to be CRT, and, isn't it? And it's like you just want the retro feeling of playing an old game, quick turn on, play the game for 20 minutes, and that's it. If you have to buy the upscaler, the all the other, <laughs> it's just too much hassle to get it all up and going. That's the problem with a lot of modern games is, is the entry level is so... The time required is so high, and that's so. With with four quarters, one of our sort of cornerstones is is making sure all our machines are original with original parts, original CRTs, 
we don't use any um, LCD screens or uh, MAME or any of that stuff. So it's really important to us to, because not everyone would notice, but there is just something slightly different about that. And yeah, like playing Mario Kart on a big flat screen telly, it's not quite the same. You can't even play Duck Hunt without, I think they produce something to make a, a big screen take the old uh, guns, but uh, for ages you, you couldn't play any light gun games unless you had a CRT. Yeah, I, mean, I think the you can get a decent set of guns now. I think they're for PC now. But I think they're like a hundred and odd pounds just for the guns. So you have to really right. like the games, you know, if you want to. Yeah. You have to really want to play Duck Hunt. <laughs> so I guess we'll just say thank you so much for coming on. If you remind me in a couple of weeks' time, I will tweet out about your book. I will download it myself because I think I've got the Amazon, whatever it's called. You know, where you yeah, Kindle, unlimited yeah, Kindle or... Prime or whatever hell it is. <laughs> and so I'll download the book and I wish you all the best in that and with the the actual, the barcade sort of future. Beautiful. If you're up in Newcastle, we've recently opened our fifth bar in, in Newcastle City Centre on Dean Street. So hopefully you get a chance to go up and visit there. If you go up there, let me know and I'll, I'll let the guys know to, to look after you. We've got some great machines there. But hopefully you'll have Virtua Cop because I, I love Virtua Cop. <laughs> you need Ridge Racer, Sega Rally, Virtua Cop and Virtua Fighter 2. We've got all those machines in one of our bars, but I don't know if any of them are in Newcastle. Well, I think at least one of those will be. But all the love, I'll pick out the, the list and, and send it to you. All right. Thank you so much. All uh, right. Again, I wish you all the best with the book. Cheers. And um, I hope the rest of the uh, the special episode goes well. And, um, that you so do I. Some great so do I. It's going to be a long one, but it's going to be fun. Brilliant. Take care, David. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Hello, Andy. This is Colin. I want to be able to get in Still me, still David, still 1UP Gaming, episode 350. So thank you, Joe, for that. And we'll do have a quick talk of a couple of games that I played this week. First one, um, oh, God. Toaga, 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 Among Shadows, and the intro was really nice, really nice cartoon, animation, special, looked amazing, and then the game came on. Now I think this started off as an, like an Apple Arcade or an uh, iOS sort of game, so I mean I didn't know what to expect, from the screenshots it looked like a gorgeous 2D platform game. But when I sort of loaded it up, it's you're stood on top of like a little mountain in the middle of the screen, like a hill, and enemies come at you from all sides, and you have to control the arrow to shoot all the enemies before they hit the little guy. So I'd have a guess that the iOS game, as you were stood in the middle of the screen, you were tapping the enemies around him to try and destroy them, and then the animation would carry on with the story. 
So it probably plays better on the iOS than it would do on the Xbox because the controls with the sticks are a bit fiddly. It still looked gorgeous, but I just didn't think it was the best it could be for an Xbox game. Uh, the next game that I played, Kinetica, and this one is from Sony's, um, is it Santa Monica Studio? I think it's one of the dude God of War. And this one is a futuristic racing game. So imagine um, like Wipeout or F-Zero, that sort of thing. But you were actually wearing the suit and could like transform me kind of thing into like you look like a robot with wheels on the arms and you like lean down and you you go and you can do stunts and you can flip around and stuff it's actually not bad it's an old PS2 game that's been re brought back out on the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 and they've got it to run at a full 1080p with 60 frames a second so that's really nice the controls and the handling of the vehicles weren't the best the stunts I couldn't quite work out so if you want a futuristic racer Wipeout is the one to go for the PlayStation although this is very novel very different and I did enjoy what I played so that is that um, and I guess we will just say we will go and have a chat now with our old friend Eddie so thank you and we're back after this chat. So, One Up Gaming, back again, episode 350. If people don't remember, which I can't remember, the last time I saw this young lad, he was almost bald and was like a skinny little 17-year-old. Gee, oh, fuck me. Wow. Wow. We're still allowed to swear on here, right? Oh, yeah, I don't care. Oh, perfect. Fucking hell, it's been about 10 years. It's been about 10 years. It's been a very long fucking time. Mm. Uh, I have hair on my head. I have I, am, I have dreadlocks now, which is crazy. I have like somewhat of a beard, which is weird. And it's been a long time. The last, the last one of these I remember was, like we were saying before, making fun of Matt Small. Mike Small? No, Matt Small, I think his name was. Just making fun of his name for like uh, way longer than was appropriate, <laughs> especially because <laughs> that was the first time I spoke to the man, and I was just fucking digging in. Um, Christ! Yeah, they never replied back to my emails. No, no, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh, that was bad. That was really bad. And now, now, look, you got like just still going. That's the thing, you're still going. You're the most determined man I know. I've got no else to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That was the, that was the same back then too. We, not, we didn't have anything better to do. This was this was our thing. This yeah. is our thing. I still can't believe it's been that long. No, I, I mean I didn't think it was that long. I thought it was about four or five years maximum. I wish. <laughs> I wish. I'm 27 now. Yeah. I'm 27 now. Jesus. And there's me sending you into these London 
sort of little <laughs> shindigs when you were 17. That's a lie to say you were 18. I remember that. I remember that. Those were... I'm not going to lie, most of them were boring as hell. Most yeah. of them were boring as hell. I don't know what it is with the gaming industry and not being able to throw an event well, but fuck. Jesus. I hope it's gotten better in, in like the last 10 years, but Jesus Christ, were they boring. Uh, I remember uh, one of the ones you sent me to was, I can't remember the game's name, but it was at Pinewood Studios. And I just, and I just sat there. We, like, you had people travel there from like hours away for a 20-minute, like, showing of a game that wasn't even that good. <laughs> and then people were like, okay, that's it. Here's free headphones. And then that was it. That was the whole thing. That was the whole thing. <laughs> free headphones, 20 minutes of one guy talking. And then people were able to ask questions. No one asked questions. <laughs> that was the entire thing. And it was the most boring shit I've ever seen. It was the most boring thing. It really, really was. Um... Christ. Did you go to a Nintendo one? No. No, no, no. Oh, I, can't, I can't remember who I... Someone went to a Nintendo one and they said that was rubbish. There were, like... Gaming events are hit and miss, right? They're either incredibly good or just incredibly shit. Like, there'll be, like, finger food and shit just scattered around. Or sometimes they'll have an open bar. Or sometimes it'll just be outside for some fucking reason. None of it ever makes sense. It's very, like, they're very bad at holding events. They're very bad at holding their own events, is what I've noticed. But yeah, I don't know. Oh. One, one question I do have, though. One question I do have. have do you have another me? Because I've been gone for a while, and you must have tried to replace me at some point. To be honest, the the podcast as it is, I actually just record that on my own now. Ah. Because I was doing bits and bobs with others, but they were nearly always from America. Mm. And I had to stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning to do the recording. And I just got to the point where I can't do I'm getting too old now. I couldn't do that. I can't blame you. I can't blame you. I can't. I can't imagine staying up until two a.m. just to talk to someone about video games, and for half the time it'd be boring as fuck. I can't do that. I'd rather <laughs> talk to myself. Um. So if you're doing the if you're doing the podcast by yourself, what about the YouTube channel streaming side of it? Were you? A lot of the YouTube stuff now. We've got over 2,000 subscribers now. Nice, good. And with that, I do a weekly like, podcast where I do like a, a video of me re- being recorded. I have like the games we've been playing, so I play the video of the games as I'm talking about them. I have the weekly news, and I put like the news screen up on, on there. And I take the audio from that, and I put that up as the like the MP3 podcast. And I cut the the games we've been playing and the news out of that to make separate videos. So I make three videos and a podcast out of the one recording. 
how how who are the people like who who else from the um from the past the old gang how many of them have you gotten on for this i've emailed everyone and unfortunately you're the only one to reply (laughs) (laughs) oh that does make sense i i do have the most free time i feel like i have the most free time out of everyone I'm literally just a student, so it's like I'm not even going to... What else am I supposed to do? Mm. It's not like I'm going to do my assignment work. But... Damn. Damn, this is... I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't thought about the podcast and like all the stuff we used to say and and all of that. I haven't thought about it in years. I haven't thought about it in years. So like when you messaged me, it was a blast from the past. And now I'm just remembering all the weird shit I used to say. Well, it's, it's not just you. There were, like Everyone on the team, it was... I don't think we actually had... I don't even know if you were there, but we had... Oh, God, I, don't, I can't remember what the, the guy's name was. But we ended up talking about the African trade in the 1950s for like three hours. And thankfully, the, it didn't record. You know, so. Jesus Christ. And that's when you know that's that's when you know things need to change. Um that's fuck wow, I couldn't do that. Oh, <laughs> oh god. No, but this is this is a serious blast from the past. I've like this is a part of my like life that I that I had damn near forgotten mm. completely. But it's also like a part of my life where I feel like if I ever run for any type of office, I this is getting dredged up so quick. I'm gonna see I'm gonna see a lot, I'm gonna be hearing a lot of those old podcast episodes come up. Because I used to say some outlandish shit. Oh Christ. Well, like I say, we're we're almost at three. Well, we are when this goes up, this will be 350. And you must have been on 150 episodes, give or take. I think I was back when you were on, like, before you got to 100, I think. Oh, was, it, was that when it... And then I think... Because I know you dropped out for a while, and then yeah. you came back for a few weeks and then dropped out again. Yeah. I think it was... I think when I started, you were on 50-something. I think. So when you were around, it was, there was, was it Nathan? Yeah. Matthew? I think so. And then there was the two twins, Evie and Mel? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I don't know if you you were ever there or not. Then there was a Ryan from America. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really hope those episodes never come to light. I really do. Well, it's, I, I don't have them here. Well, they're upstairs, I think. But I've got the first hundred podcasts available to buy. Jesus Christ! But one pound does go to Diabetes UK charities, so that's good. Oh no, that is good. That is good. That that's good. Oof! Oof! <laughs> The moment you said Evie and Mel, on, uh, I immediately remembered something and I was like, fuck. I was just like, fuck. 
Oh, I think they, weren't they like 18, 19 when you were 17? Yeah, they were like a year older than me, a year or two older than me. And I remember, I can't remember who said it. I can't remember who said it. But like, we would say the most outlandish shit and their reactions were the best part. <laughs> their reactions were the best part because they'd react completely differently to each other. So like, one would be all for it and the other one would be just like, no, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was great. It was great. Oh, shit. That was great. That's that's a major blast from the past. I haven't heard those names in years. Um, so I think... We had one other guy as well. Who? Um, I forgot his name. He, he, was, he was from the UK. Like a blonde hair. I can't remember. God yeah, that was Matt. Yes, 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 Matt. I keep seeing him pop up on my social media for some reason, but yeah, him, <laughs> him. Because I think in all the time that we were, well, I, it's not even working together. We were just doing stupid things. Yeah. Uh, in all that time, I think we only met each other once when I came down to London. Yeah. It was, was only that, that one time. Was that twenty thirteen? I think so. I think so. I think it was either 2013 or... I don't think it was 2012. When I think it was 2013. Come out? Was that 2012 or 2013? No, I think the the Wii U came out 2012 and I think the Xbox came out 2013. Yeah. So it might have been 2014 then because I had me I had my Xbox with me. Jesus. That was a while ago. That was a serious while ago. Yeah. Damn. I had fun, but I was broken. <laughs> oh, it was fun, actually. It was fun. So we should have done that a lot more, I feel like. We should have done that a lot more. Yeah, I wanted to do more sort of stuff. But at, at that time, it, I was living all the way up in Glasgow, and you most of you guys were down in like, London. Yeah. And it was quite a trek for me to... It was a diff. It was a difficult time. Yeah, but it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I mean, I enjoyed just literally coming onto the podcast, pressing record, and just saying, "What have you guys been up to?" And just sitting back. Yeah, and just listening to some god awful stories. <laughs> we would say the stupidest shit every chance we got, and we would never. There was, there was never like a moment of, oh, we probably should, we probably shouldn't say this or we probably shouldn't be talking about this or maybe we shouldn't be swearing this much. No, none of it. That, ne- that was never a thought in anyone's mind. We were just going, going, going. And God help us if we ever, if there ever was like a debate that happened, <laughs> that would go for hours. That would go for hours but it's like i don't know if you ever listen back to any of the podcasts no because the recordings were like three hours and i would cut them down to about an hour and a half i no i never. i would cut out a lot of the stuff that i thought oh that's gone a bit too far there (laughs) i i never listened back and i've never listened back to any of the podcasts Mostly because I'm afraid what I'm going to hear. Because <laughs> I don't fully remember what I said. That's the problem. 
<laughs> I never fully remember what I said. So if I think if I if I actually do watch it back, I'm gonna be like, oh fuck. <laughs> that mm. That's never gonna go away. It's on the internet forever. It's on the internet forever. Um and that's scary as shit. <laughs> that is scary as shit. It's I would be surprised to see how many people um we actually have who used to listen to us back then and still li- and still listen to you now. Well mate, were you involved in the the podcast one hundred? Yeah. The two parter, one with the guy from R- Running with Scissors from the Postal Developer. Yeah, and the yeah, yeah. Part with John Hare. Yeah, I think the I was on the John Hare bit. Had over fifty thousand downloads. Shit. Damn. So. <laughs> Damn. I mean. I, w- I would be surprised if um, I would be surprised like to see the numbers of like, how many people listen then listen now and like how many people remember the outlandish shit I used to say because like I'm pretty sure I had a catchphrase back then too I never remember the fucking catchphrase but I remember I had a catchphrase something I would say all the time it is it's terrifying how quickly time flies it's terrifying um but yeah, I don't even know what else to fucking say anymore. <laughs> this is this is one of the few times I am fucking speechless. I was gonna say it doesn't sound like you if you can't say nothing. Exactly. I just I am fucking speechless. I really am. I really am. It was a wild ride, for sure. It was a wild ride. It was one of the first. I think it was the first job I had in like a gaming adjacent industry. Mm. And it was like my first taste of like those events and seeing those people and like being able to talk to the people that make the games. It was, it was my first real like exposure to that. And it kind of just, for me, doing this solidified what I want to do. You know, it's solidified. Okay, I, I want to work in games in some way. Um, and I feel like one thing I will say, one thing I will definitely say for a lot of people to try is just like, if you're, if you're interested in an industry, start from a media perspective. Because if you start from a media perspective, you learn a lot of shit. You learn a lot of shit. You learn who to listen to when there's announcements for games or like news breaks. You know, who's, who's going to be lying to you? Who's going to be telling you the truth? You're going to know, uh, you're going to get like to see industry events and see what the industry is actually like and actually get to meet some. You might be able to meet the people, not even might, you probably will meet the people who like, um, who make the games that you're interested in. Some of them will like banter, some of them will not. Uh, some of them will be interesting, some of them will be fucking boring. But it's gonna be very, it's like, it will be a journey for you. And if you come out the other side, still wanting to work in video games, then it's great. But if you come out the other side being like, I don't wanna work in video games anymore, 
yeah, follow that instinct. Um, don't do that because <laughs> it is a it is a tiring fucking business. I'll tell you that much. It's a tiring fucking business. Um, but I feel like instead of me just talking, maybe I should ans- answer some questions as well if you have any. All I was going to sort of ask is, are you still in touch with any of the people we used to chat with, or was it like a clean break? Oh, it was a very clean break. Uh, <laughs> it was an incredibly clean break. I didn't talk to I didn't talk to anyone uh, after after it went after we went uh, after we left. It was just kind of they stopped speaking to me. I stopped speaking to them, and then that was it. Like um, Matt, I think I spoke to maybe once or twice after, um, and I think I have him on LinkedIn. <laughs> and then uh the twins no I, I think what, they from, hated me from what I can remember <laughs> from what I can remember that was a very that was a very difficult one the twins it was a very it was it was a difficult situation it was a difficult situation and I can't remember why I know something was uh, the only part of my memory from that thing from them specifically that I have left is that someone said something. I don't know which one of us it was. I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was you. I don't know if it was Matt, but one of us said something and it annoyed one of the twins so much that they were like, that they just disappeared. And I think it was like, what happened? What happened was. As we were recording, they were talking between themselves, but not putting themselves on mute. And I had to have a private word with them about being professional. And one of them burst out in tears. (laughs) And then it was like, ah, this didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember you telling us that happened. I remember you telling us that happened. Me and Matt were taking the piss. We were like, you didn't have to make her cry. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad one. Woo! I mean, better you than me, but fuck it up. Um, and then... Wow, so what was the other one? I don't think I spoke to anyone else. I don't think I spoke to anyone else. Um, No. Yeah, no, I don't think I spoke to anyone else after. It was very much like just... After I left the podcast, it was just kind of life back to normal which was like it was a bit strange it was a bit of like a shell shock but it was interesting it was an interesting thing for me but I think what you guys didn't realise it was like you guys I can't even remember when it was like every Friday every Sunday whatever whenever we were were recording for you guys it was just turn up at 8 o'clock record for an hour and that was it yeah for me, it was turn up half hour early, get everything prepared, get the scripts written, get all the research done, all the news done, and then I'd have to record everything. Then I'd have to save all the files. Then I'd have to edit it all together. So I would be spending two or three days on each episode. 
you know it was it was getting quite and then especially when we had like five or six people on each show yeah it was quite hard muting people that were talking over the top of others and it was just getting you know every three seconds like cutting little bits out and it was just taking a toll it's a lot there's a lot of work that goes behind that goes on behind the scenes to make something like this work that I feel like not a lot of people understand. Like there's a reason why now uh you have like these big podcasts who have like entire teams. Yeah, of, you like, have the host, then you have the production team that do all the editing and all the yeah. setting up. Like there's an entire reason why there is a there is a team behind it because it takes like it takes a lot of people to do that work. And I feel like the reason I feel like it was, I feel like it was a lot, uh, a lot more difficult because we were all around about the same age. Like I'm, I not, think, I'm, I'm much older. Yeah. You were, you, you were like, you had to be the adult in the room when the rest of us, we were all around the same age. So it was very much just like we were talking because we're all around the same age. It was very easy for us to talk, very easy for us to like have that flow of conversation. But that isn't what a podcast should be. It should be more cohesive. Mm. Our conversations were never cohesive. It was just a topic and then talk amongst yourselves. And then it was just a lot of conversation, a lot of conversation. And like people talking over each other, people interrupting each other. It was fucking awful. But so funny to record. But it's like... And uh, you think that was awful, mate? I, I've had someone on the team since, and mm. we had some interviews. And the guys, after we'd finished the interview, they were sort of like saying the goodbyes to me and all this at the other. And then this other guy started talking, and then they were on the phone for well, on the call for over like another forty-five minutes after, because this guy just wouldn't. He just couldn't get it in his head that the interview was over. Let them go. They've got lives. But he just kept going on and on and on. And I was just like, I'm never doing an interview with that guy ever again. It was an absolute nightmare. It's, I feel like the issue that uh, comes about with like just doing these type of like podcast things and just doing the interviews in general, the main issue I've found is just like, finding people who understand how to have a conversation, how to end the conversation. If you don't understand how to begin and end the conversation, podcasting is not for you because you're going to be going on for hours and you do not have the time. You do not have the time to go on for hours and hours and hours. And it was something that I had to learn as well. It was something I had to learn. I had to learn like, because I was, it's, it's, it is weird because this was before the pandemic and everything. Yeah, that's so, long before. <laughs> we were talking. I was used to speaking in person. I wasn't doing like video calls and that type of thing. It just wasn't my thing. Um, so I was used to talking in person and like being able to like hop, jump in when someone's saying something and having those facial cues and like body language cues that you can use to be like, to say, oh, I'm going to jump in right now. I'm going to jump in. Or I, I want to quickly say something, that type of thing. I was so used to that. I wasn't used to doing, to having a video call. 
to like the courtesies you have to give when you can't see someone's face or when you can only hear their voice or when you can see their face, but they're not paying attention to you specifically. It's that. So then that's one thing I had to learn. It took me a while to learn. It took me a while to do it well. To have that to have that conversation to have like that um conversation experience of just like, okay, I can say this now, I can say this now, I can say this now. I need to wait for them to finish. I need to wait for them to finish. I need to see if anyone else wants to add on to the conversation before I say something. There's a lot of like courtesies you have to give that I just didn't know how to do. Um, but I did learn. It took me a while, but I did learn. <laughs> it takes time. Like this isn't something that you can just like do out of nowhere. This is something that like you don't. It's not just about being interesting or having an interesting topic. It's about being able to hold. Because like the way I look at it is, a podcast is a one-sided conversation. You are talking, the other person, your audience is listening, but you are still having a conversation with them. So you still have to have the right amount, like appropriate amount of breaks in it while you're talking. You have to have like moments where like it's not quiet, but they can think about what you just said, or it's not quiet, but they can, it's almost like you're waiting for them to give you an answer type of thing. Very few people understand how to do that well. But I feel like when when we used to get into the rhythm of it all, we did that so well. We did that so well where it was just... We had a the, couple of really good episodes. Yeah. In the 150 like, or whatever, we had a couple of good ones. Oh, yeah. like We, we had... It was more entertainment than conversation, but yeah. we were very good entertainment. We were very, very good entertainment. I will just say, though, we've been rambling on a while. I think the recorder's about to finish in about 20 seconds. Yes. So, Eddie, it's been amazing to chat with you. We have new merch on our store. So we have little beanie hats that are available to buy on our store. Just go to our YouTube channel and they're on there. So that was it. Episode 350 of the One Again Podcast. Uh, thank you all for being with us. Please, please subscribe, share, bell, like, all that malak on the YouTube channel means the world to us. Absolute world. Um, as always, please go to our website, oneupgaming.co.uk. Please check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash O-U-G. If you're going to buy any of these merchandise or t-shirts, these gorgeous new hats we've got, which is like proper... Um, Embroidery, embroid, embroidery, yeah, you know, it's all stitched. So this one's got a stitch in there, and it's also got our logo on the back. Um, I'll probably show a close-up of it as I'm talking now, because I'm going to sneeze, and it's like, it feels weird. Um, right, <laughs> I'll probably cut that bit out. Um, the Games Despite Music album is available, oh, bloody hell, is available now. So please go to Google, please go to Amazon, please go to Spotify. Just search Games Inspired Music. 20% of each sale will go to the Child's Play charity. So please help us to help them. Our first 100 podcasts are also available at audiobooksontape.com and £1 of each sale will go to the Diabetes UK charity. Uh, please 
Um, subscribe to us on Facebook, uh, YouTube as always. Like, share, uh, comment, bell. It means the world to us. And the more people we get in, the more feedback we can get, the more people we can interact with and chat with. Things like that. Watch us at twitch.tv slash official. If you've got any questions, any comments, please send them to at official at Twitter. And if you want to email us anything, it's contact at oneupgaming.co.uk. So it's been me, David, from One Up Gaming for episode 350 of the One Up Gaming podcast saying thank you so much. And thank you to Joe, thank you to Mike, thank you to Eddie and Ross for all appearing on this show. Thank you, Heartbleeds, amazing, God bless, unless you're not religious, and just thank you so much. Goodbye. Hi, Justin the Voice here. First of all, we'd like to thank you for listening. Seriously. We really like it when you listen. Yes. But if you'd like to do more than just listen, if you'd like to help us out, well, we have an idea just for you. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G. Your monthly micropayment will help us keep going all night long, baby. Oh, yeah. Mostly because we usually record at night. Yeah. But don't worry, baby. We got something for you, too. We've got special benefits for all of our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash O-U-G. Hey, guys. Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. O-U-G Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better. Go baby, go baby, I love you, say I love you, never put nothing above you, won't let go once I can hug you on the floor, they hate because you let them know that you the ish, now they hate and I because you at the club and proving it, and so they choosing it too late cause now they using it, can't wait from how you doing it, I know that they pursuing it, you will kindly tell them now my baby's here to watch me go, and for him I put on a show, you just blessed to be here so. My baby goes, goes on, my body rolls on, I tell her, hold on, we can look with clothes, clothes on, been on it so long, I think we gotta go, gotta go. my grown man gets, oh, you know that I love you so.